You're listening to YAP, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Okay, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm here with Shanae Murray. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I haven't seen you in uh, over a year. I know. We met each other at LinkedIn Global in New Jersey briefly. Funny event. Uh, fun event, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely fun. Um, it's great to see like how people have grown since then. And it seems like just because of everything that's happened this year, that it it was like five years ago, but uh, it was only a year ago. That's crazy. I know. Can you imagine that we actually got to meet people face to face last year? It's like you can't even remember those times, it seems like. Um, So before we get started, we're going to just introduce you to our audience. Everybody on LinkedIn probably knows who you are, but I've got thousands of listeners on my podcast who might not know who you are. So um, introducing (laughs) Sinead Murray, her story is one that emphasizes the idea of overcoming challenges and building a dream life for her and her daughter. Sinead is a first-generation Cuban-American, and as a child, she battled and won stage four bilateral Wilms tumor cancer. And so I actually heard about a story about you, one of your first memories in the hospital, holding a a wagon when they told you like to walk and you didn't want to. And and Mm -hmm. that's when you first realized that, you know, there's uh, suffering in life, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, your experiences having cancer as a child, what that taught you, how that shaped your worldview and perspective on life. Well, like, it's funny because people ask me that question. And so like you have to understand through my perspective, I didn't really know what being like living a normal childhood was prior to having cancer. So it's not like I was like 13 or 14 when I was diagnosed, like I was diagnosed very early and, mm-hmm. and thank, thank God. Right. Because, um, my kidneys were enlarged. So usually if they're not enlarged, uh, they may catch it way too late. And I mean, mm-hmm. I was stage four and it was just like, Several times that like they brought in the priest to uh, baptize me because they, you know, they do that in the hospital when they think that you're going to not make it and and not have a lot of time. So they told my mom a few times that like I wasn't going to have a lot of time, but just like, so for me, it was kind of like normal to be there, you know? So when I look at a hospital, I look at like, I feel like almost comfortable in a hospital just because that's the place for me that like helped heal me and help me get stronger, help me get better. When like a lot of people, adults and like teens, they kind of look at it like a place where like you, you know, you don't want to go to the hospital. So (laughs) it's like a different perspective. But, um, you know, I will say this, that I credit a lot of 
why I survived, obviously to the medical doctors and stuff, but also to my mom, because the doctor that was on my case, the lead doctor, he advised her to not treat me like I was sick. Mm. So he like told her to like discipline me like a regular child, because what happens is, is like they don't. And then a lot of children that are sick may like be very aggressive towards their parents or have like Mm -hmm. serious temper tantrums that make the treatments a little bit harder for the nurses and stuff like that. So she was like kind of tough on me, like the red wagon story. It was like, she wasn't the mom that was like crying, you know? Uh, She was the mom that's like, well, if you're not going to walk, I'm going to make you walk, you know? And I'm sure she cried and was like devastated, but she never did it in front of me. And she would always kind of, tell me like, okay, this is like temporary. You're going to get stronger and stuff like that. So I I think that like psychologically that helped me a lot. Yeah. And probably because she made you feel normal. Right. Helped you maybe get normal faster because you believed that you were normal too. I think your health has a lot to do with the way you think and and like your mental health too. I've heard you say in the past that you suggest to differentiate yourself by embracing your darkness, embracing your scars. But there's many people who are, they they feel embarrassed about their past, you Mm -hmm. know, and and they're not willing to really share their story. Why do you suggest that people be open, be authentic, and share the trials and tribulations that they've had in their life? Because it builds trust. Now, I will say, I will preface that by saying that there is like a a fine art of vulnerability. So you want to be vulnerable and share, you know, the tough times that you've had, maybe uh, certain circumstances that you could have made better decisions, so on and so forth. But you don't want to be so vulnerable that instead of gaining trust and respect, that you gain like sympathy and pity. So you don't want to victimize yourself through vulnerability. So there is like a fine line, like on one side where it's empowering and you could inspire others and Mm -hmm. leverage that to like build a huge community that trusts you because you're open with them. But you don't want to push it too far that then like you're victimizing yourself and and then people will will do the opposite because nobody likes somebody that's like always with a sob story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it builds trust and and it makes you seem real. And I can't tell you the amount of business opportunities that have opened up for me, not just with MedSnake Media initially, the first company that I co-founded, but now with Growth Academy, just because people have heard my story. And when you also look at that, you know, people are much more likely to remember your you if you have a story than if you're just sharing information. And, um, you know, it's something that can't be replicated. They can replicate everything else, your pricing, your product, but they can't replicate your story. I love that. That's such a good point. And I'm going to dig deeper later on in terms yeah. of how you develop your stories and some of your copywriting skills. Um, since we are live, I'd like everybody who's tuning in to tell us where you're located. Uh, we'll shout you out. We've got lots of folks tuning in already. So thank you awesome. so much. And if you have any questions for me or Shanae, just let us know and we'll uh, make sure to ask it if it's relevant to the conversation. So uh, speaking of you know your trials and some of your uh, things that you've dealt with in the past, you actually left your full-time job because they would not let you take care of your daughter. You felt like you didn't have enough time to focus on your daughter. Um, So tell us about that time. Uh, I think it was a turning point in your life. Um, Would you share that story with us? Yeah. So um, Liv, my daughter, 
she's a toddler now, but then she was like around six months, you know, maybe six, eight months. And uh, she got a flu from like a certain type of inf influenza strain from being left at daycare because like mm -hmm. most parents, I would have to like wake up super early, leave her at daycare at seven o'clock in the morning, work till five and then go get her. So like I wasn't with her for basically 12 hours and she was pretty young. And, and like I said, she was a preemie. So mm. she was a little bit smaller and stuff like that. She got sick. So she actually ended up going to the hospital being, we had to stay there. Like I had to stay there, me and my mom for 14 days. So around the 10th day, my boss at the time was like just getting irritated. So sending me texts like, hey, when are you going to, like, we need you back at the office, like, you know, one after the other, like, just not understanding that I was, you know, yeah. not going to leave her there because I'm her primary caretaker. I was, I was at the time a single mother. And then finally, like around 11 p.m. one night, basically was given like an ultimatum by my boss at the time saying like, find somebody that can stay with her, like return or like lose, lose your job. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not returning. And it's crazy. It's almost like inexplicable how I felt in that moment. Like, it's hard to put into words. Like, she was, like, sleeping in her crib with an IV in her hand. It, it was, like, a very tough thing. Like, they didn't have a bed for me to sleep in in the hospital that whole time. So, like, my mom had left because I'm not going to make my mom sleep in, in a chair. I was sleeping yeah. in a chair for several days. And I was just like, listen, I, like, to myself, I'm tired of, like, the limitations of my life. You know, I'm tired of not going where I want to go when I want to go. I'm tired of like having to leave her in a daycare for 10 to 12 hours a day. Tired of not having the resources to purchase, not even what I want to purchase, but what I need to purchase. You know, I was making very little money because I had to pay for the daycare. So what are you left with after that? Like after daycare and rent, yeah. um, you're really not left with anything. Day daycare, rent, diapers and food. And that's it. I had basically pennies after that. So in that moment, I really thought to myself, because at that company, I was doing like copywriting and I knew like I kept hearing of people that were making money online, just blogging. So for me at the time, I was thinking more like blogging and it's amazing how like visions and things change with time. Right. So and for me, make, just replacing what I was making back then, which was which was nothing in retrospect would be enough for me if I could just make that doing what I love from home because then I could spend more time with her. Yeah. So long story short, I got on LinkedIn because I I had like less than a few hundred dollars in my bank account, like a couple hundred dollars. And I spent like 50 to a hundred dollars. I can't remember the exact price on this one course that teaches you how to make like a thousand dollars a month blogging. And one of the things in the course was, oh, make a LinkedIn and, and blah, blah, blah. So I made a LinkedIn and I just, th this was like probably four, four to six months before I even created my first post. So I had just put up a picture and started, you know, just building relationships with people on the back end, like messaging them and stuff. So before I left, but I had no experience, like I had nothing to show for, for a portfolio that was not related to my work, which I couldn't use. Hmm. So long story short, before I left the hospital, so within the next 72 hours, I had already reached out to people and said, hey, I'll write a free blog for you if you write me a recommendation on my profile because I wanted samples of work to show people. And I wanted recommendations on my profile to increase trust so I can yeah. get clients. 
And before I left the hospital, I had three recommendations. That's amazing. It just there's there's so many lessons to learn in that. The first thing that that really calls out to me is the fact that you invested in yourself. You took oh, this I course. To, that's one thing. And when I did it, it's crazy because when I did it, I'm like, you're insane. You may not have money for like food that you need. You, you, I mean, you know, I'm gonna have to ask my mom for like fifty bucks or something. <laughs> and I never am I'm like that type of person, you know. So. I was like, you know what? Like, I just felt like this, like feeling. And I was like, what do I really have to lose? And I told myself, I was like, what do I really have to lose? Okay. Like if all, if this truly fails, like in the next month, I'll lose my car. Like I'll lose my apartment, but that's like basically it. And then I'll just have to admit defeat and go live with my mom and then find another job. Like that's like the worst that can happen. You know what I mean? Or if it works, like there's a whole world out there that I don't even know. And I like had the dedication to like work till three o'clock in the morning if I needed to every day to find out if it would just replace that income. So uh, before I left the hospital, I had those recommendations. And within four weeks, I secured my first contract and the retainer, like when I got that check, I like, like tears when I was walking back to my car were like literally pouring out of my eyes because it was $500 more than what I would have made the whole month at my previous job. Wow. And this was just, this was to help somebody ghostwrite a book. So, um, and it was just the first check of like a six month contract. So that was like the real validation to me that like, okay, like I do have what it takes and you can make real money doing what you love. And like from there was like, I'll never turn back. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy. Whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments where 
When we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And indeed, streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Yap fam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. 
shopify.com slash profiting for a $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Such an amazing story. So tell us what happened next. You know, you got, you got these clients who are resourceful. You know, you took action, relentless action. You had the, the work ethic. You had the skills. So what happened next? How did, how did you get more clients and, and build your business? Yeah, so that's a great question. So obviously, after getting that one client, I was like spending more time on LinkedIn. I got a couple more, like, but I wasn't posting it. And I was watching like a lot of people that were growing. And I was like, wait a second, like, what are these people doing? Like, because I like notice patterns. And that's also around the time that like LinkedIn videos started to like really pop. So a lot of people were like, just post your first video or whatever. So I posted my first video um, in November, late November. It was like around Thanksgiving, like almost two years ago of uh, 2018. And um, yeah, it did really well. And I thought it was a coincidence. And then I just posted my second video the next day and I did really well. So I thought it was a coincidence because the the image quality, the sound, uh, it was terrible. But <laughs> like it was doing well. And then the third video did really well. And I started noticing like I was getting a lot of inbound prospects. Like I didn't have to message anybody. They were coming to me. And I was like, wait a second, like there's something to this. And I posted my fourth, my fifth video and they also did well. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not a coincidence. Why are people watching my videos? So that's when I started asking people. I was like, hey, why did you like this video if the image is terrible, if like it's shaky and the sound is terrible and they're like, Oh, because you're real or like, it's because of what you're saying. And that's also something that like, it just so happened at the time to a lot of other people that were showing up on video on LinkedIn, were doing it in a very uh, corporate type of manner where they had to have their makeup perfect. They were in suits And I was showing up kind of like this with just like a 30 second message. So like it was different. Yeah. I mean, success on LinkedIn is all about standing out. And you're right. When you first started, you were like so casual. You were just kind of like the girl next door who would hop on and and everybody could relate to. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes back to the stories that you were talking about before and telling your story and sharing your story made people feel, I think, connected to you. Yeah. 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 And I feel like, you know, since then... I never really prepped a video. Like I was just doing a whole different strategy and I didn't even realize what I was doing at the time. I was just showing up, right? Because I was seeing the results. So I was like, I got to, I'm I'm the type of person that I double down on what works and I release what doesn't. So I'll get rid of what doesn't and I'll double down on what works. But for me, it's all about numbers. So Shanae, Let's talk about uh, MedStink Media. So mm-hmm. you you started this company, and I believe you help people with like their marketing and even their yep. their billing and, and and things like that. And so you had mentioned in, in previous interviews and things like that that you feel connected to the healthcare industry. You feel mm-hmm. like you love the healthcare industry. They they helped you, you know, be able to survive when you were younger. Right. How come you didn't decide like to be a doctor or a nurse? Like, why did you decide to like kind of go on the outskirts of the industry? Um, that's actually a great question. In college, when I started, I was in pre-med and stuff, but I just, I wasn't really like passionate about it. And I always loved to write. So like when I was in cancer treatment, a lot of the times, like my kidneys would hurt and stuff. Like I would have to like lay down 
And just like even afterwards, you know, so even to today, like sometimes because I had surgeries on my kidneys, so the scar tissue will hurt mm-hmm. and I'll just have to like rest for like a day. Like my body will kind of like let me know in a way. So um, when I had like downtime, I would love to read. Like I was like one of those kids when I was young that like read Harry Potter in one day, like a $500 or 500 uh, page book. And uh, so I would read and I would write. So when I was like in pre-med, I kind of felt like I was like in this conflict of like, okay, I do like the idea of healthcare, but like I would really love to be a writer And it's so funny because back then, you know, when I was in college, you know, 10 years ago, you kind of had to write a book to like build a community. And now it's like the opposite where it's like publishers won't even take you on unless you have a community already. And then um, your community is kind of at the point where they're demanding a book. So it's amazing how like things have changed. But in my mind, I was like, okay, well, healthcare writing, healthcare writing. And that's kind of how I got into like marketing. But I didn't really tie it to my story or to healthcare until I got on LinkedIn and um, I was passionate about it. And that's like one of the main things with copywriting. You have to write what you know, what you're passionate about. And obviously things have evolved from there. Like, you know, I just launched Growth Academy two months ago, but... With MedSnake, it was like, I really understood healthcare when a lot of marketers and stuff didn't. Mm-hmm. So we helped a lot of facilities. And that's like the number one complaint that we would hear is like these facilities would spend a lot of money with marketing companies, but then they would have to kind of explain the healthcare space to them. And, you know, when you're marketing for a facility, when you're doing their marketing, let's say they want to attract uh, Medicaid patients, it's completely different than attracting private pay patients or attracting private insurance patients. It's a completely different demographic. If you don't really understand healthcare, you're not going to understand that. So um, we continue to serve them. But like, it was just a great thing because it opened a lot of doors where people are like, okay, she understands the healthcare space. Uh, They remembered me for the story. And then, um, you know, in meetings, I would obviously prove our proficiency and stuff. So, yeah. So when it comes to like, when you were building your business, how did you know that there was actually a demand for the services that you wanted? How did you decide that, you know, the demand was big enough to go after? Like for copywriting, for marketing and stuff? Yeah. So, okay. That's a great question. It's all about like, I listen to people. And I think that's where I was going in the previous question. Like, how did I build a business, right? Mm -hmm. So when I really started getting consistent with video, especially within the first 30 days, I saw like a huge increase in like the amount of people reaching out to me in in, like messages. And I kind of saw how the process would go. And I'm, I'm a quick person. So I would immediately, and this is one tip for people, like don't hang out in the DMs. So if somebody's like interested in your product or your service or wanting to learn more, like I don't message back and forth a million times. I set up a call immediately for like today or tomorrow because the faster you move, the faster they move. So I see a lot of people even trying to close deals in the DMs. And it's like, that's, it's going to take forever. And especially on LinkedIn where, where the LinkedIn messaging is not like the best. So I saw the demand. And then like when I would get on the phone with them, there was a recurring need in healthcare where a lot of them had no idea how to even approach marketing, where a lot of them, 
They just really wanted to build an organic brand rather than to pour money into ads and stuff because a lot of these startups fail because of their their marketing misspend. So they wanted to go lean um, and they were thinking long term. So a lot of that had to do with you know video content, copywriting, and, and just fulfilling their needs. It was really like a custom kind of thing, but it would all kind of be the same. We noticed that pattern very early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Okay. So how did you end up meeting your co-founder at MedSneak Media? What's what's the story there? So she actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. And it's funny because you said, hey, people can relate to you. And that was kind of her her message to me. Like, hey, your videos are so relatable. And then we built a, a friendship from there. And then we we found the demand because she's doing medical billing and credentialing. So once the the facility is up and running, they would always ask her like, okay, we're ready for marketing. Do you do that too? And she'd be like, no, I don't. But she kept referring people to me initially. And I was like, okay, well, why isn't there like a one-stop shop for all this? So that's what we created. Um, I know that you had a big break. You had one of your first clients was pretty big and significant and it helped you kind of have a new life. It helped you start a new life. And I can relate because I work full-time at Disney Streaming. I just started a podcast marketing agency and I just got like three pretty huge clients and now everything's taking off. I'm ready to quit my job. It's like just crazy. I can't even believe like how fast yeah. we're scaling. And it's just like goes to show the power of LinkedIn. Like once you have a brand on LinkedIn, you can literally start anything, you know? So tell us about this story. How did you land your first client? Did you have a website already? Did you have a logo already? Um, Did you just go for it? I don't even know if we had a website already, but he reached out uh, on LinkedIn. It was like very short. It was literally within one month of December. So I think it was like in late December or early January right when I had just started in the first month of like posting videos and he just reached out and he was like, Hey, how much do you charge for copywriting services? Blah, blah, blah. It's funny because like I did the first project and then like his wife saw it and was like, wait a second, who wrote this? And then they, that's how they got us on retainer because she loved it. Mm. So, and they had so much more work. So, uh, yeah, it was life changing and I was like, wow. And um, we still have that relationship till today. And then my, I would say like my next big impactful connection came six months later when a random connection that, again, just watch my video content very frequently, reached out. I was like, hey, I have a friend, a colleague. He lives in West Palm. He's close to you. I'd love for your, you know, for you guys to meet. I would love to introduce you to him. I don't know if you guys can work together, but just whatever. And uh, that's when I was introduced to Christopher Hummel. Mm, yeah, I know he's one of your your major clients. Yeah, he's like my mentor now, I would say more than anything. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it just goes to show, like for me too, like I didn't have a, a website. I it, It's more important to just get the clients, show them what you could do, prove to them through actual work or past experience. Oh, yeah. You don't need to have everything ready and perfect. Just get started and, and start to get clients. Yeah, I don't know why a lot of people spend way too much. Like branding is not brand. I always say that. Like you can have the best logo. Like, and I'll give you a great example. So look at Quibi. Quibi just like they said that they're like calling it quits or whatever. Mm-hmm. They had like the best team. It's like I guess they try to compete with like Netflix or something, but they got like billions of dollars in investment. They had like the top talent. Um, they had all the branding. They had blah blah blah. 
They even were started, they launched with like 100,000 subscribers that they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, 93% of the subscribers dropped off after the first month. And I mean, so you could have the best talent, you could have the best branding, you could have the best this, but they, their marketing strategy was antiquated. You know, they, they, they went after like high ticket celebrities to do like commercials and Super Bowl ads and stuff like that. And when they should have been doing stuff like to get, you know, influencers with a million followers and stuff on TikTok because they were trying to reach like the 18 to 30, 35 market. So it just goes to show like you could have the best of everything. But if you're not if you're not like adapting and, and if you're not like super hyper focused on your customer, you could fail. Yeah, totally. And it's all, and I think sometimes when your back is against the wall and you have to be resourceful, that's when people get the most creative and uh, actually, you know, grow an organic community because they're, they're yeah, I didn't have an option. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that's, that's a blessing in disguise for, for us. It's like when we launched MedSnake, I didn't have an option to spend like thousands in Facebook ads. Like I didn't have any of that. So I was forced to create an organic brand. And that's like the best decision that, that I could have um, made and been consistent with. Because like, if you have an organic brand, you could always like add in paid advertising, but it's very difficult to sustain something with only paid ads. Um, totally. You know, term, so yeah. An organic brand will, the trust is just, you can't beat it. Yeah. People think that paid ads are the way to go, but you're not retaining anything. You're just going to have to keep paying and paying and paying and paying. So it's really important to grow that organic community. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier that when you first started on LinkedIn, you actually invested $100 into a LinkedIn course, $100 that you didn't have. If you were giving somebody guidance today in terms of how to start their organic LinkedIn community, what would you say? I would say... Find somebody that has done what you want to do and learn from them and apply what they teach. Because like the learning curve is just going to be cut in half or cut 30%. Like the things that I had to like slip up on and the tests I had to run along the way. And that's, that's really where, again, demand. I listen to people. Why I launched Growth Academy around like I would say like March of this year, I started getting a ton, a ton of messages every single week. Like, hey, do you have a course? Do you have this? Do you have a program where I could learn how to do what you did? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no. Like, I was like, okay, that's kind of like coincidence, like blah, blah, blah. Then like in April, especially as like the corona, you know, the pandemic was like really getting serious. I was getting probably like 50 to 100 messages a week. And I was like, okay, the people need this. So um, that's why I did that because I was like, okay, there's definitely a need and people want need to learn. Like I could cut their learning curve in half. So yeah. So you have a course available or do you offer consulting for that? It's more than a course. So, and that's another thing when I did the research, you know, people buy courses, but what's a course? Like you really watch videos and stuff and like, who's going to be there telling you to apply it? Who's going to be there telling you to tweak this, tweak that. So when people join Growth Academy, they not only get the course, which has over 40 videos, but they get live weekly trainings from me and from Chris. And if they can't make the live trainings, then they get the, the recordings. They also get to join a private community in Slack where like we track their growth and we uh, we give them tips every day and stuff like that. And they get to network with all the other, num- other members 
right now we have a Spanish group and an English group. Uh, we have, uh, that's awesome and very creative. So we have a question from Adam Posner. He says, what about the copy and paste posts? And I don't know what MLM stands for, but I guess he's saying MLM. engagement pods. Like, I guess he's, I guess he's saying, why post the same things over and over again? What's your strategy around that? So it depends on the post. So for me, like the connection post is, is not really for me, more for other people to connect. And if that works, then it works. Like people have gotten jobs from it. They've, they've like messaged me like, hey, Shanae, I grew like 500 connections this week and that I haven't grown that in like months. And uh, if it helps the people and obviously it's not being shut down by LinkedIn, then I think that there's a reason for it. I think that they obviously want other people to grow as well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, you have to think like they want more people on the platform. So they definitely want posts that endorse more people to stay on the platform. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and you know what? In terms of the engagement pod, I think that there's lots of engagement pod communities out there that are actually real communities. I think there's a lot of like hate out there in terms of the engagement pods. But honestly, there's a lot of communities out there where people actually are friends with each other. They care about each other and they want to actually see each other's posts. And when you become an influencer, you start to lose sight of your friend's posts. And it's actually very helpful to have a chat with everybody's post in one place where you can keep in touch with the people you actually care about. And so I think people have this like weird idea about engagement pods that it's fake this or that, but it's like, I would like these people's posts if I had seen them in my feed, but I don't control the algorithm and this is a way to control the algorithm. So I think everybody's hate about engagement pods is a little bit of jealousy mixed with other things. Yeah, all I'll say is like, it's easy to critique. Everyone's always going to have something to say, but... Like I said, at the end of the day, if LinkedIn wasn't for it, they would shut down the post. Yeah. So what would you say is your secret sauce when it comes to your growth on LinkedIn? Because like we said, all of a sudden you had this huge, actually, we were talking offline when we were talking about this. So let's talk yeah. about your tipping points. So when we met at LinkedIn Global, that was in 2018, uh, me and you had like the same amount of followers, right? And here I am, like only doubled my growth and you've like 10 x your growth. So what would you say was the tipping point? Like, when did you start noticing like, oh my God, like things are just escalating quickly because there's really not that many people who have over 30,000, let alone uh, you have 600,000 followers on LinkedIn. How did you get to that point? Yeah, so it's crazy because last September I did have like what at LinkedIn Global event, like 30,000 followers, something like that. And then I just, I stayed consistent. So I, I started posting more. Again, I would double down on what was working in terms of like what my audience wanted. Like I'm super hyper-focused on my audience. So if my audience is going to gain benefit from a certain type of post, like that's what I'm going to post. I'm thinking about less of myself and more about what people want. So, and I determined that through numbers. Like I don't let like my personal perspective kind of like be like, oh, well, this post should have done amazing, but it got no engagement. Well, that's because people couldn't relate to it. When people relate to a post, it gets high engagement. So like, it just like, I kept doing that. I kept staying consistent. And then in uh, January, I would say like late January of this year is when I really had my tipping point. That Gen Z post that I wrote, it just like, I didn't even expect, I thought it was just going to be another post. You just never know what's going to go viral. And uh, it went like super viral. Like it got like over like 240,000 likes, uh, over like 12 million views. 
So then through that month, but there's like a secret to that. So through that month, I grew a lot. And it's not like I like let my foot off the pedal because one post went viral. Like what's one post? I posted more and I really took advantage of the momentum. And then uh, I had another post that went viral. But somebody on LinkedIn took a screenshot of the post that I had no idea who they were. And they posted it on Facebook. And then it also went viral on Facebook. And it got like, yeah, it got 150,000 shares on Facebook. And like, it was crazy. People were like messaging me and, and they were like, hey, I saw you on Facebook. And I'm like, Facebook? Like, I'm never even on Facebook. And then after like the 10th message that day, I was like, can you like tell me where you saw me on Facebook to some random person? And they're like, yeah, I'll share the post with you. And it was just a girl who who took a screenshot and she was like, hey, I saw this on LinkedIn and I had to share it. And it like blew up. And then like 20 other pages shared it. And it also went like 50,000 shares, 8,000 shares. Like I had people all over the country that were messaging me being like, hey, Shanae, like people from high school, I saw your post on Facebook. Oh my God, that's so insane. And it wasn't even, like it didn't even get credited to you as some other girl's page. No, no, it did. Because like the way she screenshot, it had my name. It said like, okay, okay. And that's how like all these people, like there was like even one page that went viral and like quit your job. Like my guy friends were like messaging me like, oh, Sinead went viral and quit your job. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's crazy what happens so, when you go viral on Facebook. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. That's funny. I've never been viral on Facebook, so I hadn't, I've only been viral on LinkedIn, so that's all I know. <laughs> so what was so special about that post? What, like, Let's dissect well, that Gen Z post. What was it about? Why do you think well, it went viral? I, I do know. So. When I thought like it was doing well and doing viral, I thought it was because it was about Gen Z. So I was like, oh, it's because like Gen Z is sharing it so much, blah, blah, blah. But when I actually started looking at the shares and what people were were doing with the shares, what they were saying. So it's actually targeting the people that want an opportunity now, the Gen Z population. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of the older people were resharing it and saying, I'll never forget my first manager that gave me an opportunity. Please pay it forward for somebody. So it was like 
targeting like people my mom's age and they were like resharing it like crazy thanking mm. the people that had given them the first opportunity and then it was also ta- the gen z were resharing it but i thought it was just the gen z that was making it viral it wasn't a lot of older people were paying like thanks to the people that had given them an opportunity I guess just for context, if like, I don't remember the Gen Z post. So like, what was the Gen, like, what did it say? What was it about? Um, well, the general gist was just like, hey, because um, an intern, a paid intern, I just started with us. And uh, I was like, hey, you don't, you know, this person doesn't have experience. But I mean, for me, it was so basic. Like I, but sometimes the post you never expect to will go viral. So you know, the person did everything right during the interview. And, and I believe like if somebody does something right during the interview, even if they don't have a lot of experience, it doesn't mean that they can't be effective. And I always say that, like when people come to me and they're like, oh, I have 10 years of experience. What does that mean? If like you can't translate what you've done in those 10 years to be effective, then it's just like how long you've been doing it, not what you've done within that amount of time. Totally, totally. You know, that's kind of how the post is, like what it talks about. And then it just says like, give somebody a chance. Yeah. Uh, leaders create leaders and it like blew up. And then that's it. <laughs> so when it comes to your LinkedIn, like you talk a lot about like HR stories and things like that. Are those like your stories or are those stories that you like well, find? How do you decide what to post? Well, so like the ones that I say are mine are mine. I just can't like some people are not going to tell me, allow me to share their names. Other people like I get probably hundreds of messages a week with people being like, hey, can you please share this story on my behalf? Obviously, they don't want to be tagged because they're going to get fired or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. But yeah, I could have a whole blog with like people being like, hey, Sinead, this happened to me at work today can you please share this story? Or like, hey, I was shut down for the fourth time for my dream job. And they'll like, they'll get into really what happened. It's interesting. And so what what, what I, I guess the, the moral of the story that I want to tell here is that you actually don't need to have your own interesting stories. Like if you want to be a content creator, especially on social media and things like that, you can find other people's stories and people will relate to them and you can put your own perspective on that story or your call to action or, or whatever like points that you want to point out. But it's that story that gets people talking and connecting and sharing. Like people love to hear a good story. Yeah, they do. I mean, listen, it, it's how our brains are wired. That's one thing that I've also done differently is I've shared a ton of stories. Like, you know, the other, the one that went viral on Facebook was from a friend that like his boss was being a jerk just because he was late to work. Something so simple but something that a lot of people can relate to. So it has to be relatable and it has to be just, obviously there's a science to copywriting and um, that's a different discussion in and of itself. But basically if you position something as a story, it's going to be more likely to be remembered. People are going to connect with it more, which means they're going to connect with you more and um, they'll forget information a lot more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed that like a lot of the influencers like who are really huge on LinkedIn, like you, Oleg, Bridget, everybody's talking about like H- a lot of HR and recruitment content. Do you think that LinkedIn favors that type of content? I don't think that LinkedIn favors that type of content. I think it's obviously like supply and demand, right? So if there's millions of people that are uh, laid off, 
then when you talk about getting laid off or you give them tips to find a job, they're going to like the post. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, again, you, it's, it's less thinking about what you want to create and what your brand is about and relating it to like what people need. And people are like, why does inspiration do so well on LinkedIn? Well, um, people are having a hard time. They're isolated in their homes, away from their family. And uh, a lot of them are, don't have a job anymore and don't have benefits coming in either. So, you know, uh, reading a post, like I've had people saying, like, basically your posts have saved my life during the pandemic. People now more than ever need positivity. Yeah, I totally agree. And I can totally relate. And, and especially on LinkedIn, people on LinkedIn are really into like self-improvement and bettering exactly. themselves. And exactly. that's, that's why that kind of content always works. So in terms of writing a story, you obviously are super talented when it comes to getting things to go viral, getting people to actually connect with your stories. So is there like a certain framework or recipe or, or formula that you have when it comes to creating a good story? I mean, I wouldn't say that I am like amazing at going viral. You just need like a few posts to go viral. I will say that my consistency, like your consistency can lead to your virality. So when you look at like the data, like a lot of posts and a lot of people, like somebody may be posting 30 posts a month and I'm probably posting 300. So it's just a matter of time. Like I'm increasing the probability of my posts going viral. So that's another thing. Like people, you know, like they don't break down metrics. They don't know how to break down numbers correctly. And it's like, if you want to post once a day or once every week, that's fine. But don't expect your percentage of going viral to increase. Like the more you post and the more you get engagement, the algorithm is going to favor one of your posts to go viral. It's numbers. Yeah. That's pretty eye-opening for me because I post like one or two times a day and I think that's consistent. How many times a day are you posting? Well, it's like also a compound effect. So like in the beginning, you can post once a day and, and then like maybe after three months, uh, rev it up and after nine months, rev it up. But like, I've never stayed complacent. That's that's like another thing. Like I always try and test different things to see what works better. Um, now I'm posting probably like four or five times a day, depending on the day. I'm going live a lot more because, you know, people love when you go live, it's like, you know, you're, you're the realest thing that you can get. It's an unfiltered yeah. form of content creation. So yeah, um, people love when you go, I get so much engagement. If I just go by myself and I'm just like, yeah. ask me any question, I'm here. And like, people like, you love that. Somebody, you could tell somebody these things and then they won't do it. And then they're like, why am I not growing? And it's like, well, you haven't applied anything that works. Yeah, totally. So we have a question here. All right. From Brenda, does going viral result in income from LinkedIn? Absolutely. And it's mostly from leads. It's not like YouTube where they're going to pay. Oh, us. yeah. Like you're not like monetizing it. But yeah. I mean, again, it's numbers. So it when, if you get a post that is seen by 12 million people, you know, even if like 0.01% of those people are your, you know, quality prospects, like if you message them in a certain amount of time, like reply to them and stuff and you're hyper aware of like who's looking at your profile and just stuff like that. And you could close the deal through a phone call and stuff. Then absolutely. Um, obviously everybody's skills on the phone and back end development are completely different. That's another thing. Like you have to, like I said prior, you have to really take it off of LinkedIn and you have, I mean, that's where like sales and those type of skills come in. 
Awesome. Well, if anybody has any more questions, please feel free to comment in the chat. Would love to hear what you guys want to ask. I know, it's like boring. I don't have a secret formula. Like my secret formula is just like consistency and doubling down on what works. Like I don't think that's boring at all. I think that's real advice. You know, know. you suggest like keep doing what works. Like, look at you. You don't even, you're not even in the HR space, right? So right. This, is, this is a lesson from your book I need to take. You're not even in the HR space, but you're building your business by putting out posts that are related to the HR space because they blow up on LinkedIn and they bring you visibility. And, and you know, like the text posts could be HR, right? But like when I go live, it's completely different topics. It's more like business focused and entrepreneur focused. Another thing is like, it's again about numbers. If you're able to attract 100,000 people to your profile every month or 50,000 or 5,000 or whatever, if you, no matter what you're posting, if your profile is optimized correctly for your target audience, they're going to reach out and at least be curious as to how you can help them. But without consistency, without being in their feed every single day and building that trust and being a, someone that they remember, you know, it's very difficult for them to reach out. Yeah. So, you know, you've grown your following so much on LinkedIn. You've got over 600,000 followers. You've got a growing business, MedSnake Media. You've got several businesses, in fact. So Mm -hmm. what's next for you? What are you, do you have any big moves? Uh, Yeah. So I, yeah, moving into 2021, more of my focus will be in Growth Academy. And, you know, we've reached over 30 countries already. Uh, we're in two languages and we're expanding into five more. So obviously, um, you know, my heart is with the e-learning space. I, I love to teach and I love to see other people grow. So that's going to be where my focus is. And then, yeah, I have some other things coming up as well. You know, surprise. I'm like a surprise person where I just like launch something like no, no pre-launch, no like. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to go with it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, hey guys, I have this. Like, I did this. And they're like, what? (laughs) And the last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life? Exceeding expectations. Hmm. Because when you are excellent at whatever, you could have one chance with one customer. But if you exceed their expectations and if you give them excellent customer service, they're going to go tell 10 friends And then that one chance turns into 10 chances, which could turn into 100 chances, which can turn into a huge business. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, they overpromise and underdeliver. So then they're constantly trying to recruit new customers over and over again, then retaining ones that they have. And then if you have very, very happy customers, they should bring in referrals. They should bring in trust to your brand by giving you recommendations. You know, there's a lot of other things that go into that, but exceeding expectations and and doing more than what's expected, always going above and beyond. I love that. I couldn't agree more. Giving 110% and everything that you do, they say how you do anything is how you do everything. And I I think that's, that's, a good gem to always keep by your side. So thank you so much, Shanae. I think this was such a great session. So happy that you joined us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, like I just really appreciate the time and continue to grow. You'll get to 100,000 soon. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you will. Bye, guys. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please write us a review or comment on your favorite platform. Nothing makes us happier than reading your reviews. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and on social media. I always repost, reshare, and support those who support us. You can find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team as always. This is Hala signing off.